Welcome to On Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. I'll be your guide as we explore the stories of today with the personalities impacting tomorrow. Welcome to On Balance. I think that it's easy to interview people who have been established for, you know, let's say 20 or 30 years in the education space and just wonder or assume that they just sort of were born into the education space and, and into the provider space, the innovation space. But I actually like to take a little bit of a left turn or a right turn um, and pivot and explore the people that saw a challenge and said, you know what, let's do something about it. And I'm really interested to speak today with Hunter Moore. He is the CEO of Plasma Games. And by all accounts, he had every sort of obstacle figured out in his professional path. Uh, he was working with many STEM corporations, including IBM, Boeing, Pratt & Whitney, uh, and others, and saw that there was an incredible issue when it came to talent and the available talent when, uh, for STEM jobs. And so he's done something about that. Hunter, it's really nice to spend some time with you. And if our off-air conversation is anything, I think this will be a very nice discussion. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for bringing me on your show, Dr. Berger. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, thank you. All right, let's start with this, Hunter. So I am, this is probably the parent in me, but I am forever interested in sort of the DNA of an entrepreneur because mm -hmm. in my generation, we never talked about it. And I grew up in Detroit where many, especially the boys, they thought about doing what maybe many of their dads did, which was work for a supplier of one of the big three automakers. You never really talked about starting something on your own. That just was not a part of the conversation. And this wasn't eons ago. <laughs> We're talking about the 90s. Um, but the generations since, this becomes a part of the vernacular in this sort of concept of, well, I'll try this and then I'll try that. And if I fail, I'll learn a lesson and I'll just continue to build my personal brand and understanding of what it is or is not to build a business and be an entrepreneur. Um, tell me about your background when you think about being an entrepreneur, because I don't want to over, I don't want to sort of roll over this idea that you were having a successful career and you decided I'm going to do something about that. And while that's more common today than it's ever been, I still hold that in high regard for the decision that those like you have had to make. Yeah, excellent. It's definitely not an easy one, especially when you got the fallback of a easy life, not as an engineer, you know, pretty guaranteed yeah. job, decent salary. Uh, it really boiled down to uh, in graduate school. Me and a couple guys invented the first intelligent flotation device. So it was a toddler's belt or a dog collar that would um, sense when they're drowning. So, it, you know, they play in the water all they want. But once it, through microcontrollers, determine they're drowning, it deploy a flotation device and save their life. Um, I was like, well, this is really cool. It can make impacts on people's lives. <laughs> I would say that. Yeah, that's more than cool, Hunter. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, it was nice. You know, I got to the point where I felt like I could build pretty much anything given enough, you know, time and, and resources. But it really hit home once we had the prototype and it worked great that I wasn't going to be able to impact the world unless I could wrap a business around it. Um, because, you know, I, I first saw it went to like, what if the battery dies? And then I get sued because some kid or, or, or dog dies. Um, be terrible. Uh, but, you know, that would be the end of it. Or how do I get it on the shelves? How do you manufacture it competitively? I don't know anybody in China. Uh, all these just basic business things that I realize you need in combination of being able to build something. Uh, so then I started down the path of knowing one day I wanted to start my own company if I was going to actually make an impact. 
So even with all the engineering stuff, I always had my eyes set on MBA school uh, and not a PhD in engineering. So I literally was on the PhD track. And then after that, I was like, actually, I'm going to stop at a master's and then get an MBA as well to know how to start a business. Uh, and then in MBA school, I looked at what area was the biggest need in our society. And, you know, we rank 25th in the world in science. You know, we're getting dominated by third world countries like Estonia, Vietnam, and Slovenia. And so, like, how do you actually get kids excited about science and video games? That's where we ended up there. Okay. So you end up on vi at video games. Um, what made you ask that question of what, in essence, the need question, because you didn't just say, I'm going to pivot and go and get my MBA. So I know how to start a business, but you, you actually inserted this, well, wait a minute, where would I best be uh, beneficial to the rest of the world? Why is that just a part of your DNA? Is it part of your family? Is this a part of your contemporaries at your age? You were asking these questions. Mm. Yeah, excellent question. I mean, it's a combination of all of the above. Also, whenever you start a company, you want to be successful. And one of the basic things they teach in business school is if you create value and a big need, people will pay you for it. Therefore, your company is sustainable. It's not necessarily about making all the money, but like you got to pay salaries. So if you're, you're creating value, you make money, you get to make more stuff. It's kind of the idea to help more people create more value. It's that positive feedback loop. Um, so I looked at one, the, what were the fastest growing markets to be predicted? Uh, cyber cloud security was one. Uh, ed tech was the other. So then the next thing I looked within ed tech, what's the biggest problem area? Um, you know, STEM for a national standpoint was that. And then uh, I interviewed thousands of teachers after that and asked what their biggest challenge was. And unanimously, uh, student engagement kept coming up as the number one issue so how do you address the biggest issue one of the fastest growing markets that has an impact on our society and we then picked the niche that we wanted to focus on based on the biggest impact on the economy i mean these are huge questions these are big questions and and you, you know you're not gray-haired like i am so it's not <laughs> you can lean back on sort of decades of experience what assumptions were wrong oh man uh, uh oh, is that a long list? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, this is your I spent four years in a basement, you know, kind of uh iterating, testing, researching, you know, prototyping before we had anything tangible. So uh the very first assumptions was I was gonna go after CAD, you know, the 3D modeling yeah. software because there was a big shortage in that, and that's like a basis for engineering. It's something that we can get kids to pick up and um, there just wasn't really like a giant market need for that. I found out another assumption was I made a, uh, a, a first prototype to game that was really awesome. I won't go into the details for probably patent reasons, but it's fantastic. But it covered, you know, the chemistry, the physics, computer science, uh, engineering systems, everything all at once. And I showed it to teachers and I'm like, this is amazing. But I don't even have enough time to teach my own standards, much less three other classes simultaneously. So you're like, oh, okay, all right. So then you got to back up and then narrow your scope and then narrow your scope to where you're actually. And see, uh, a lot of people, up. Hunter, a lot of people choose not to go into education, the business of education, because you have to have an incredibly long runway. It's mm -hmm. high, It can be highly political. You're mm -hmm. dealing with legacy systems. 
in a mm-hmm. traditional landscape where we're not really into change. Now, COVID kind of flipped all of that, but how much, I mean, sure, you got your MBA, you're a smart guy, but it's almost like you have to have an honorary degree in the business of education to even participate. Did you find that? Let me show you something real quick. But I have, uh, well, yeah, I'm not going to look all this. Stacks of, you know, the PhD research papers that are this high where <laughs> I had to, I was like, all right, so engagement's the problem. Where in our PhD world are we? On the Where's the disconnect between the theory and the practical application? Um, so, I, and I got the initial funding by winning an NSF grant kind of right out the gate. So of course you did. You're a smart guy, Hunter. Look at you. <laughs> it took me four years to do it. And no, like, I know. I But but it's amazing. I mean, you say it with such, um, like you just sort of, you attacked. It's I get the sense it's like you, there was a problem or there was a challenge. There was a hurdle. You attacked it. Maybe that's the engineer in you. I don't know. Did you expect, I mean, is that part of the mentality of an engineer that you almost have to expect that there's going to be a challenge that you didn't think about when you were sort of in the design phase? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's interesting. I had this conversation with some of our engineers uh, at Plasma Games just this week, uh, and we laughed about it because I was like, "Has there? have you ever written a line of code that was right? Or not a line, but like a, some code that was right the first time? They just laughed. They're like, no, of course not. <laughs> like it, ever. It, it just doesn't happen. Um, so you have to be able to be like, okay, all right, what's the other problem? How do I think through this? And then most of the time when you get done with something, you're like, could have done that better. Uh, and you're always pulled with, do I just keep on moving or do I go back and rework it and optimize it depending on, but yeah, it, it's the, the engineer mindset of nothing is ever perfect. You've got to get it solved and you're never going to have it right to begin with. That's how I lead product design in general. Even mm. when designing educational things, I, I try to instill in our company that no one has the right idea the first time ever, or even the thousands, but like we want ideas and then you beat them up and you compete and you, uh, and then at the end of the day, our goal is to have a much better product and solution to whatever we're trying to tackle than any one person or team of people individually could come up with. Well, see, and that's, what's fascinating about the education business. This probably predates plasma games, but there was a point in time, let's say in the last 15 years where districts and schools they expected whatever technology they bought from you to be perfect and like finished. And yet if you worked in technology, you knew this is an iterative process that what you are utilizing today will change inevitably over the next 72 hours and beyond with feedback, with data. And that was a huge shift in the minds of those making the purchasing decisions. It was how do we communicate to our board, to our parents, to our teachers and students that it's great now. But we'll find some bugs. This is part of the process. Um, but it's like relationships, marriage, anything that's messy. <laughs> but for whatever reason, we put this veneer of perfection on the technologist, which I don't think was fair. And we probably lost some previous sort of hunter moors out there that would have participated in the business of ed, but said, I don't need all that red tape and the expectation that you wouldn't have out in the retail space. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Um, it, it's not easy. And not only do they expect perfection, they expect everything. They're like, oh, you don't have this feature? What do you mean you don't have this? You're like, guys, th- this is this is what we got. It's really good. Yeah. Uh, but they want it for every subject, uh, that LMS integrated every single bell and whistle possible. 
uh, typically, but you know, and you know that used to actually be a negative hunter. A lot of times when you were battling legacy companies out there, Mm. it would be easy for the district to say, well, Hunter, that's really great that plasma does X, but we don't need you to do everything Mm. yet. Mm. So then you'd go back and your sprints going, all right, guys, so I guess we have to really fine tune this and we can't be the cheesecake factory menu. We Mm. have to be, you know, honed in on one area. So it feels like it was probably a bit of a mind game for a lot of innovators and entrepreneurs. Um, kind of where are we at right now with Plasma Games? So let's sort of advance the conversation and talk a little bit about market penetration, feedback that you're getting and where you think you're going in the near future. Oh man, so that, that's the most exciting aspect about all of it. Uh, so we had a, we've had a product for about three years now. And you know we did our laser niche. At first, it was just the game. Uh, and wild results, you know, tremendous research uh, outcomes on learning, uh, engagement, uh, self-efficacy, everything you can measure was like off the charts. Uh, but then we showed it to teachers. So I'm going to go three years and then forward. We showed it to teachers and they're like, this is amazing. Well, what do we do with it? <laughs> you let kids play it. Uh, but it was so innovative that it they, was outside their box that they didn't really know how to incorporate it. Um, I don't know if you read the book Hitmakers or not, but that's one of the premises of the book is you, you've got to have something really innovative, but then you have to have the familiar component. So we've spent the next several years building the familiar component. So like uh, the interactive worksheets, reading passages, you know, all the stuff that, that so they can grasp onto it. And then now that we've got kind of critical mass on that, we're putting in front of teachers and like, wow, this is amazing. And then the research results go up even higher. And we've had really, really accelerated adoption because of it. Um, and it's more of that complete curriculum package as opposed to just a standalone uh, 3D game. And so what are they getting? So if someone blindly hears about plasma games, or they say, mm-hmm. are there games plural? Like, what am I getting that goes with this? Because the competition is uh, broad and deep <laughs> and probably a bit, uh, you know, wild um, out there and international in scope. Yeah, excellent question. So we've chosen to go much more narrow and be best in the world at it. So like we won first place in the world in the competition of Athens, Greece, so the best learning game on the planet. But right now we cover high school chemistry, high school physical science and middle school science uh, with our game. It's a 3D turn-based strategy game that's really done something that no one else in the world's been able to do is it's not gamification. Uh, in any way, shape, or form. And and what I mean by that is traditionally that's answer a quiz question correctly and then your race car goes faster, you jump higher, you get an avatar, something other than the learning happens. We've taken the science standards and applied them to actual game mechanics. And then you'd be able to engineer the game, the, your pieces of gear using the science standards. I don't know if I explained that completely correctly, but for example, your laser works by using the Bohr model of the atom. And how far the electron falls down determines the energy and frequency that your laser emits. So it's like calibrating an attack, but you're using simulations on the science you're using to do that. And then you upgrade it by the gas you're allowed to use inside your laser. So you're you're actually engineering your gear using the science standards and then calibrating them in the game to do so. Okay. So you've got the three different courses, right? So where... 
<laughs> no, yes, sir. Please, Dr. <laughs> uh, so three courses. So where do you envision this in the next? Because, you know, invariably what's going to happen, it probably already has. You have customers in the ed space. And once mm-hmm. something works and you get the buy-in from the student, they see the data, the results, they're going to want more. <laughs> yeah. And we've gotten uh, demand from all kinds of different areas. Um, and I'm super duper excited about our next thing that we're launching. I think it's going to shatter the world. So it's not just another subject. It's like okay. something huge that we're filing patents on right now. Uh, so maybe part two, I'm, I'm happy to uh, give you a little bit more on that. There you go. Is oh, there a timeline for for that? Uh, next couple months, maybe. Okay. Because we, we just got patents granted, like not just applied, but granted on our previous stuff, which is next to impossible to do for, actually, it's not just a patent to show you this. Maybe also kind of what I believe the future of game-based education is going to be, but it's like a giant. Wow. Uh, not not something tiny by any means. No, no, you're showing me. Okay, tell tell the audience what you're showing me there. Uh, these are patents that were granted. Um on what we've done with full interactive learning, what I was kind of just trying to describe earlier. Yeah. What, what, what have you, fine. Hunter, what have you learned about yourself? I mean, look, there are, I don't know what the percentage would be, but when you think about innovators and entrepreneurs out there, there's got to be just a very small percentage that are aiming so high that they're inventing, they're creating the first of something. Mm-hmm. And they're going through the patent process, which, by the way, uh, for those that don't know, is uh, laborious may not be an appropriate term, let alone expensive. Um, so you're committing. I mean, you are really diving in. You are committed. This is a marriage to your idea. Um, talk a little bit about what you've learned through this process. Do you feel even more emboldened to think bigger uh, than you ever have because you now see the path, you can see the light, you understand the blueprint of designing, developing, getting it to mark, market, getting feedback and funding and being able to provide salaries to your employees to what you were saying earlier. I mean, this is a life cycle that you are actively in and I'm wondering how it's changed you. Amazing questions. No wonder, no wonder this podcast is so successful. Um, I've constantly feel, he asked, how's the business doing? Well, I'm like, well, we push if you play poker, I feel like I'm going all in every hand because for every penny that comes in, we're like reinvesting into R&D. And if that pays off, you know, we go all in again. And that's how we've been able to make really leaps and bounds uh, with what well, the resources that we have. Um, but with that, I don't know if you ever play poker, you're holding your breath every time you push your chips all in in poker. So I've really had to learn to just be open-handed and be like, if God wants me to succeed at this or keep doing it, that's what I'm going to keep doing. If he wants me to go back and be an engineer, I will do that. And that's the only way you can kind of sleep at night. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but also, you know, as to your point, being very emboldened by the success that we've had um, and, and testimonials, anytime it gets uh, kind of, you get in the day-to-day of emails and blah, 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 we'll get teachers come in and just say how amazing it is and how we're changing students' lives. And that gets shared out with the team. So it's it's reinvigorating to know that we're actually delivering on our mission. And that kind of puts wind behind the sails of the whole team. What's your relationship to anxiety now? And how has that changed since you made the pivot from 
doing pretty well, young guy, I've got my degrees, and now I'm going to sort of jump off of this uh, idea cliff. Yeah. Um, again, it really is tied more to how close I am with Jesus. I know that sounds crazy, but if you've got your faith that someone's taking care of you, you don't have to worry about anything. And the further you get from that, the more it's on you to succeed. And I'm learning every day. I'm a nobody. Yeah, I'm smart. I work hard, but uh, things can come out of nowhere and take you out. Like a literal truck could take you out, but also who knows? Like one of these big guys could do come unveil something. And I'm like, Oh man, I didn't see that coming. So it's, that the, the secret for me is just having my faith that she's being rooted. It sounds like you're incredibly rooted in who you are and what matters to you within your environment. I'm just learning more and more that I'm a nobody. <laughs> That's, uh, and it, it's out of my control. I just got to put one foot in front of the other. And as long as I do that, you know, I'm going to be taken care of. Uh, let's close with this. Let's talk a little bit about the realities of being an entrepreneur. And when I uh, speak at high schools, a question that I'll get is just around this transition because you go into it with an idea. You might be a high school student, a college student. You could be in mid-career and you say, I've got an idea about something. And for a lot of people, they start that something. And in what happens is you find yourself on a day-to-day -day basis doing things that are very opposite of the talent that you brought to the table, let alone what you dreamed about doing. And that can really wear on somebody. It's like brake pads that need to be changed over time. Uh, how have you created a balance and an understanding that, yes, you're probably utilizing skills that you learned through your MBA and just the life of hard knocks and still sort of getting or extracting value in that so that you don't kind of feel like you're underwater in the perspective of your dream you are good at this uh it's fantastic another question oh one i still take out the trash and like clean the bathrooms and i make sure my employees see that to highlight the fact of you will have to do things you don't want to do and that's just the nature of the business particularly for this younger generation where they just want to do what they want to do uh, and you just highlight that it takes, you just got to get it done. Um, and I, I'm very excited to get back to more designing uh, and the inventing. That's more of my personality type. Uh, and I, I think success of an entrepreneur is largely tied to your ability to do what you have to do, even though you don't want to do it. Uh, and just reminding yourself that the end goal is what it's at and just success. You you want to win more than you don't want to clean toilets or take out the trash. Well, I, I think I well, look, I hope that you're able to speak to uh, students of all ages uh, across the U.S. And obviously with your international awards that you guys have received, um, it it's terribly valuable for people to hear entrepreneurs that can work really hard maintain a level of humbleness and push forward to the betterment of those that are utilizing the products that we are developing. And I think you represent that in spades. I want to make sure people can get connected with you and that they can learn more about Plasma Games. Where should we direct them? I guess our website, it's https colon forward slash forward slash play dot plasma dot games. 
play.plasma.games. Hunter Moore, what a pleasure to spend some time with you. Continued success. Maybe I'll see you. You're just down the road there in, in Raleigh, and I'm here in Nashville. Um, last question for you. Who's going number one in the NFL draft? Uh, I think sports are a downfall in society. I love to play, <laughs> I love to play them. Uh, but like You're saying again, you're not a Carolina Panthers fan. What I'm saying is the United States ranks 25th in the world in science, and we care more about who's can put a ball in a hoop. You know, like Georgia Tech got number two in the international robotics competition, and they have a great solar-powered car that's fantastic. Um, I Nobody knows about should, it. No, how come this stuff isn't all over the news? Like, that yeah. that's who we should be up And during the space race, uh, we had the real housewives of the astronauts. Now we have like Honey Boo Boo and the Kardashians. And I, I kind of blame media in general because they control what's on TV. Um, and I personally think we should have a, a space race of some tech thing, but for big publicities, publicize who is, and that'd be the talking point. Give big, big prizes for that, have them on the media. And I think that's how we can get societal change, but it's got to start from the very top to implement that. I stand down. Well put, my friend. Uh, it's incredibly important that uh, we do maintain focus, and you're exactly right. We, we're seeing the the fruits of focus on social media um, with our young people, and uh, it, it's important that we shed light on those like yourself and your team that are doing some amazing things. We want to thank Hunter Moore. He's the CEO and founder of Plasma Games. You can go to play.plasma.games. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. This concludes another chapter of On Balance. Connect with me via LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Dr. Rod Berger.